Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to Blitzcast number 94. Lots of topics to get to, guys. We're going to recap the Super Bowl. We'll talk about some players that have been elected to the 2020 uh, Hall of Fame class. Uh, we're going to discuss the awards that went out in the NFL season. Who won the MVP? Who won Coach of the Year? Offensive Rookie of the Year? Defensive Rookie of the Year? Um, then we'll we'll have an interview on tap. That, that's going to be at the end of the show. And um, obviously, like I said, we'll, we'll talk about a head coach that, that lost his job. That I guess nobody expected. Uh, but let's start with the Super Bowl. It's still fresh in our minds. It was on Sunday. We are recording the show in the middle of the week. And let, let's get to it. You know how disappointed I am, but let's leave that behind. Let's just cover the Super Bowl. Your thoughts on it. Obviously, the 49ers had a lead. It was 20-10 to 10 in the fourth quarter with, what, eight, nine minutes left on the clock. And uh, the Chiefs made a few more plays. They, they stepped up on defense, and Patrick Mahomes made a couple of great throws. And once again, the Kansas City Chiefs came back and won their third straight games in the play, third straight game in the playoff where they, they came back and... Uh, and came out victorious, and this time they they became the Super Bowl champions. Yeah, I I would say I would actually define this game as a huge meltdown by the 49ers. I mean, it, it probably was about the seven or eight minute mark where the 49ers just totally fell apart. I thought they couldn't do anything on offense after that point, and they were they totally felt folded on defense. So. Um, to be honest with you, yeah, the the Chiefs played better in situational football, but I would say I would say this was you know a, a huge meltdown by the for, the the 49ers, and um, you know you have to look at that head coach. I mean, Kyle Shanahan, he's a young coach. This is only his third year, but you know hopefully he learns from this mistake because I mean this was this was his chance to win a Super Bowl. Let's talk about that, Ed, uh, because I want to bring up a topic. I'm kind of looking at this and. Um, I believe Kyle Shanahan is the new Andy Reid. So hear me, the, <laughs> hear me out. Hear me out. It's an offensive genius, an offensive coach, and Andy Reid has been an offensive genius for a long, long time, especially when he became the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, he brought something new. He brought something fresh. It was Andy Reid, John Gruden. Those were the, the young, new, hot coaches in the NFL. Kyle Shanahan is the it boy. I mean, just his offensive scheme is great, the way he can incorporate different running backs, the way he can plug in any quarterback. And you see, I mean, Garoppolo is that success. Matt Ryan won an MVP when, when they went to the Super Bowl when he was the offensive coordinator of the Atlanta Falcons. But he can't win the big game when it matters the most. And he had kind of one of those meltdowns that Andy Reid had back in the heyday when when he played in the Super Bowl with the Philadelphia Eagles. We remember that with Donovan McNabb and T.O. Um, Andy Reid has had numerous problems with time management. I saw the same thing with Kyle Shanahan. He, just, he was scared to lose the game. When you're scared to lose the game, uh, that, that's going to be the outcome. You have to be aggressive. He kicked field goals when it was fourth and one, fourth and two. You need to go for it right there. You know who you're playing against. 
your defense was playing well in the first half up until, you know, the third quarter, even early in the fourth quarter. You have to be aggressive. You have to put up points on the board. And he was just scared to lose. I'll give you an example of that time management. Look, what was that? We The 49ers get a stop. With 158, 159 left on the clock. They have three timeouts on on the board. Take a timeout. You've got a two minutes. It was on the 50-yard line. You've got a chance to march down the field. You're going to have the ball in the beginning of the third quarter, but you've got a chance to score. Maybe a field goal. You've got them right where you want them, you know? I mean, Garoppolo, the two-minute warning. You can get it to Debo Samuel on, on a jet sweep. You, you can get a running back screen out there. They were just, he didn't take a timeout. The clock ran all the way to 58 seconds. They return it. They're running the ball. They ran the ball two times. Then all of a sudden they call a pass play. George Kittle catches it. He was called for a, a bogus offensive pass interference call. But that was a weird, weird sequence right there. The, those last few minutes of the first half, I just really didn't understand it. Again, he believed, he explained it in his press conference later on. He said, look, the Chiefs offense is so explosive. What if we get stopped? We punt it back and and they march and they score some points. But again, he's proving that he was scared to lose that Super Bowl. And eventually that's what happened. Yeah, I mean, one of the things you, you kind of said at the beginning was uh, Andy Reid. He was Kyle Shanahan as sort of the the new Andy Reid. And uh, I, I I have to say, I mean, I think this is a storyline that we have to cover is that Andy Reid won his first Super Bowl. I mean, it was, you know, in baseball they would have called it a curse. I mean, he, he really just seemed to always fall apart and never win in the playoffs. And um, this is the first time he's really been able to do it. And... Uh, you know, so that was that was a great story, and I mean, this was this was the first Super Bowl for Patrick Mahomes, and um, you know, how, how many more Super Bowls is he gonna win? I mean, I think that's that's a serious question. I mean, he he really is. I mean, he might be the best quarterback in the NFL right now. I mean, it's it, and um, the other well, thing he's going to he's going to Disney World, so obviously he's the best quarterback out there. At 24 years old, he he wins the MVP and and leads the Kansas City Chiefs to a championship that has eluded them for for so many years. So I'm happy for them. But I'm just saying, one team was playing to win the game because Andy Reid went for two fourth downs in the first half. He was willing to take those chances, knowing that he'll get the ball back, they'll march, and he was aggressive. And another coach on on the other sideline, Kyle Shanahan, was just scared, scared to play the game. And it's just... It was too much for him, and I was I was one of those people that felt like he has learned from his mistakes. You know, Mike Shanahan, his father, has been in a couple of Super Bowls and has won it. He seemed to have the winning formula going in, and it seems like he didn't trust it. I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs didn't want the 49ers to run the football, Ed. They couldn't stop them, but for some reason the 49ers went away from that formula. Whenever they were giving the ball, whether it was Debo Samuel, whether it was Mostert, whether it was Tevin Coleman, they were picking up like five or six yards on each play. But for some reason, we went away from it. And once again, in the fourth quarter, we were throwing the football even though we weren't behind. And then don't get me started, Ed. I mean, Richard Sherman is a great player, but he got burned at the line of scrimmage for 38 yards with 
3.44 left on the clock. It's almost that picture is in my mind. I've, I've memorized it, Ed. Getting beat off the line by Sammy freaking Watkins, Ed. It's not Tyreek Hill. This isn't Travis Kelsey. This is Sammy Watkins. Come on now. I mean, that was, that was so disappointing. And Sammy Watkins obviously caught the ball for 38 yards and they set up that Chiefs touchdown to go up 24 to 20. I mean, I know the result didn't turn out right, but I, I actually like the idea of Kyle Shanahan throwing the ball, just trying to kind of mix it up with 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 the lead. I mean, I, I think sometimes teams, you know, they'll just they'll just mail it in, they'll just run the ball, run the ball, and the other team knows that they're going to run the ball, and then it's like it's like you pretty much just took a little time off the clock, and then you really didn't do a whole lot. And I thought it was too early to really just run the ball and telegraph that you're going to run the ball. So I, I I understand the result didn't go well. I think I think it was more of a mental breakdown than a than a strategic breakdown. I thought that the 49ers just mentally weren't there in the last like seven minutes of the game. And I think that's why they lost this game. Not so much not so much the decision making by Kyle Shanahan, but more the the mentality of the team. I think this isn't the point. Everybody knows you're going to run the football and you try to pull a surprise. I mean, obviously coaches do that all the time with with play-action passes or dialing up a a long pass when it's third and one or fourth and one. The element of surprise, I get it. But you need to give your defense some time to rest on the sideline. That defense ran out of gas, and, and that's pretty evident to me. It just they didn't have it for fourth quarter for four quarters. If you run the football, you milk that clock. You give them an extra couple of minutes to sit on the sideline and get a breather because you still have Patrick Mahomes and you have that that those fast players on the outside. That's my point. Milk the clock, get it down. Don't give them as much time on it, and give your defense a rest. And I think from that standpoint, it was a strategic strategic mistake by Kyle Shanahan and that, that coaching staff. It's just element of surprise, I get it, but it seems like he hasn't learned. He did the same thing with the Falcons in, in that Super Bowl against the Patriots, and, and that's what drives me nuts. I mean, these guys are very, very smart, but if you're an, an intelligent person, you, got, you have to learn from your mistakes. You go through something once. You go through something twice. Third time... You just you show what a bonehead you really are. And um, to, to be honest with you, I mean, I felt like if you've been through this before, if, if everything is kind of turning out the same way, I mean, the, the whole picture is the same. You have the lead in the fourth quarter. Change up the tune. Show that you've learned something. You've learned from your mistakes. Apparently, Kyle Shanahan has not. Well, I, I think one of the things they could have done, I think they could have maybe showed the run on the first, the first, uh, the first down, and then maybe try to do some play action on second down. So mix, mix run and pass. I think that would have been better than just, um, you know, trying, trying to, you know, pass on first down. I think that was maybe where the mistake was made. Well, throw the running back screen. Throw a wide receiver screen. You've got Debo Samuel there, who is who has been on fire in, in the second half of the season, uh, yards after the catch. He's almost like another running back back there. Uh, Ed, I mean, that that's my problem. Throw a running back screen to Tevin Coleman. He is, I mean, he really excels at that. He was healthy. Uh, that's that's my problem out there. It's that not, not only me critiquing the 49ers, but just a lot of things went wrong. And, and I just felt like you have to be more aggressive 
in the Super Bowl. Nobody's asking you to do what, what Bill O'Brien did when you had the lead and a big-time lead and you, you call a fake punt on a fourth-down play because you believe that, oh, the Chiefs have got momentum. You try to stop that. But Kyle Shanahan did nothing like that. I mean, he's on his on the Chiefs' 30-yard line. It's fourth and two. They kick a field goal. I mean, come on, man. I mean, you're an offensive genius. You've got some plays. Run a pick play for George Kittle. Get him open. The Chiefs couldn't stop the Niners. They couldn't. The Niners stopped themselves. But I, I'll tell you, I'm, I am happy for Andy Reid. I'm happy for Patrick Mahomes. Uh, couldn't have happened for a better quarterback and a nicer head coach. And uh, I, I give them all the credit in the world because when they needed it, they made plays in the fourth quarter. But this was not the best Patrick Holmes, Mahomes performance, Ed. I mean, you and I both have to admit that because he struggled, especially through the first three quarters. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, you know, in my sort of game notes, I was saying, you know, wow, Mahomes is really struggling in the second half, and he really didn't have a great third quarter. And I don't even think really the beginning of the fourth quarter he really had a great beginning of the fourth quarter either. I think, though, that when it got to situational football, that's when Patrick Mahomes did well. Well, who who is your favorite next year uh, going in? And, you know, I mean, sure, we're all speculating out there. Who is your early favorite to, to win the Super Bowl next year? Gosh, that's a, that's a hard one. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I think that this could go in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I, I, I really I really like to I really like what Baltimore's done with their team. I mean, they have a good defense. Um, you know, they have Lamar Jackson coming back. You know, Hollywood Brown will be a second year player. Um, I could see a, I could see a lot of things going right for for the Baltimore Ravens next year. All right. Uh, hopefully Lamar Jackson can put some of those demons aside and, and win a playoff game because obviously he's also getting better and he had a magical season. So let's talk about the awards, Ed, and let's talk about Lamar Jackson. Unanimous pick for the MVP award. Obviously, I mean, there was there was no question that Lamar Jackson was going to get this award. Yeah, I mean, he had a great year. I mean, it, it was one of those things where, you know, it was almost like he, he had it the same way he had it in college where, you know, he could win, and he could win you know, through the air and then he could win on the ground. And, uh, you know, he's unstoppable on the ground. And so that, that kind of opened him up through the air. And, um, you know, the thing that really improved about his game is the intermediate passing game. You know, he, he had the intermediate passing game when he had to. And so I think that's the reason why he won this MVP. Um, he... It, it was definitely well deserved. I mean, he carried this team, and he, uh, you know, he lived up to everything that they thought he could have been. So, I mean, um, you have to say to the people who thought that Lamar Jackson was a quarterback and was, you know, one of the best in the draft. I mean, those those people were right. Well, there you go. Now all he has to do is uh, win a playoff game, and I'm sure he's going to do that. Um, offensive Player of the Year. Uh, it wasn't Lamar Jackson who got it because we like to spread those awards out. So Michael Thomas, the receiver from the Saints, who set a new single-season receptions record. Uh, he broke Marvin Harrison's record. 144 catches. It's incredible. Thought that was a, a Marvin Harrison's record was going to stand still for a, for a while and. All of a sudden, Michael Thomas breaks it. Second-round pick, Ed. Do you admit now that Michael Thomas is the best wide receiver in the game? 
I, I still think there are some better wide receivers in the game, but I do think that Michael Thomas had a great year. And I, I mean, of all the of all the awards to sort of question, this isn't one of the ones that I'm questioning as much. Um, you know, I, I think I think there are guys like Julio Jones who are, you know, I think still better receivers, even though Julio Jones didn't have a be- the best year. I still think that there are other receivers in this league that are better than him. Okay, but Michael Thomas definitely deserves to be mentioned with, with the top receivers. Everybody is going to argue who's number one, whether it's Julio or uh, Thomas or uh, DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, that's that's always going to be a debate out there. Um, Kyle Kyler Murray, the number one overall pick of the Arizona Cardinals, um, obviously put up huge numbers. And it's not a surprise. I mean, he played in Cliff Kingsbury's offense. He threw for... Over 3,700 yards, 20 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. I would have given this award to Josh Jacobs. I mean, considering that the Raiders were in the playoff hunt, when he was in the game, he was carrying that offense. He was getting consistently 100 rushing yards on the ground when he got going. So I would have given this award to to Josh Jacobs, but Kyler Murray is is the one that comes out on top here. Yeah, I I definitely agree with the idea of giving Josh Jacobs this award. I mean, I thought Josh Jacobs had a great year. Um, And I I think, you know, if if you weren't going to give this to a running back, I think there were other quarterbacks that you could have given this to. Um, you know, I, I I know I know it sounds crazy, but I think Gardner Minshew had a better year than Kyler Murray this year. No, that's crazy because I mean he hasn't played a full season. First of all, he didn't start early in the season, and then they benched him for a while for about three games when Nick Foles returned. Yeah, I mean you you have to have at least closer to a fuller full season. And if the Jaguars at least were in the playoff hunt, you could make a case for it that Minshew won a lot of games when he was the starter, but no, I can't make a case for that. I mean, Murray was in there, and um, him and Jacobs were leading the charge one and two, but I would have still given it to to Josh Jacobs. But that's just that's the era that we live in, uh, unfortunately. I mean, quarterbacks are going to get those awards, um, and that that's, that's the truth. I mean, you can have a... And nowadays, you can have a 2,000-yard season. You're still going to be topped by a quarterback who throws for 40 touchdowns and, and runs for five or six touchdowns out there. And I can make a case for Christian McCaffrey. He should have gotten the Offensive Player of the Year. But uh, obviously, Michael Thomas walks away with it, broke the single-season receptions record. How about Nick Bosa, Ed? You and I loved Bosa coming out. We felt... I mean, that debate is going to go on and on. Obviously, the Arizona Cardinals believe that they've got their quarterback of the future, so I don't want to touch that. I mean, they they got rid of Rosen. They went with Kyler Murray. They believe they're on their way because you always have to have the quarterback, and Kingsbury has his guy in Kyler Murray who walked away with Offensive Rookie of the Year. But the 49ers are really happy with Nick Bosa because, look, they were in the Super Bowl, and he won Defensive Rookie of the Year. He had nine sacks for Bosa. But that doesn't even tell the whole story. I mean, this guy is always in the backfield. He's also a very good run defender. Yeah, I thought I thought Bosa did a good job um, this year. I thought I thought that he was the clear-cut winner of this award. I mean, he not only not only was he you know defensive rookie of the year, he might have been one of the top two or three edge rushers in the league this year. Yeah, I mean, you can make a case if you would have put up maybe four or five more sacks, he would have been in the conversation out there, really. I forgot to mention Defensive Player of the Year, and it's an award 
that do, that rarely goes to a cornerback. But this year, everybody was talking about it. Stephon Gilmore, the cornerback from the Patriots, he was having a great year, and he came away with AP Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, Gilmore had a decent year, but and, and I mean he was the cornerback, and he probably was the best player on that. Patriots defense. Although I can make a good argument for Jamie Collins just on just on that Patriots defense this year, I thought there were other guys who deserved the award more. I mean, I I could have very well seen you know an Aaron Donald winning it, but if he said you know Aaron Donald's won too many times or you know he wasn't the clear cut favorite, you know you maybe give it to a guy like T.J. Watt. I think T.J. Watt had a great year. Um, you know, there's even other names. I mean, I, I, I could even make a – I even thought R- Richard Sherman was a better corner this year. So um, I, I kind of disagree with this pick. Well, I mean, you can make a case for T.J. White, um, but I think Donald had a down year by his standards. I mean, it's still a very good year. Uh, he was double teamed. He was triple teamed. But he had a down year compared to what happened last year. So – um, I, I don't think Aaron Donald was in the conversation for me. I mean, you could always, like, it's almost like making a case that you can give it to Patrick Mahomes every year. You can give it to Aaron Donald every year just because they're the best players in the game. But they still have to back it up with their with their stats. And I thought Aaron Donald didn't have his best year this year at all. Well, I just thought I just thought with Aaron Donald, it was more of a thing where he was maybe asked to take on the double teams this year more than be the guy to rush the passer. So, I mean, I think he's playing an integral role in the Rams' defense. I just think he had to play a different role. Well, hopefully, he'll come back and then put up 20 sacks next year. Um, and that, that's what the Rams need. I mean, they want they want the old. Aaron Donald back. Uh, Comeback player of the year, Ed, went to the Tennessee Titans quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. Who would have thought, Ed? They made it all the way to the AFC Championship game, and and Ryan Tannehill obviously relieved uh, Marcus Mariota, and the Titans went on that run. Yeah, I mean, he's a clear-cut winner of this game. I mean, I thought he was maybe a top-ten quarterback this year. Um, you know, he definitely deserved to win this award after losing the job in Miami. Um, I, I, I really, I really couldn't, I could really, I really thought he should have won this award. I thought he had this award won midway through the playoffs. I don't think, I don't think you had to wait till the end of the season to give him this award. I think even just winning one playoff game, uh, you know, was enough to give him this award. So, I mean, clear cut winner, he deserves it. And now he, now he's going to get a big contract and you know what? At this point, if I'm if I'm if I'm paying if I'm paying for a quarterback and I get the money, I'm gonna I'm gonna offer Ryan Tannehill more money than I'm gonna offer Tom Brady right now. Crazy, Ed. Crazy back last off season. I mean, the Dolphins let him go, and uh, obviously they good riddance. And all of a sudden, Ryan Tannehill has went on a run. But it, it's tough. I mean, the Titans have to give a lot of money to Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. They're going to freeze a lot of money in those two players, even though they, they had great seasons. But, again, there's <clears throat> the whole team that you have to kind of build around them. And you still have 51 more players on that team. It's not only Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. So it's a lot of mouths to feed. And I'm not sure how the Titans are going to be able to uh, to build that team around those two players. Because, I mean, they definitely have to pay them. Look at the run that they went on, and uh, there's no way they can let one of those guys go. Um, head coach of the year goes to John Harbaugh. John Harbaugh. Yeah, the, the Ravens. 
obviously a great season for them. A lot of people were calling for John Harbaugh's head, and look what happens. I mean, they just they went on a run, and they were the best team in the regular season. Yeah, he, he he had to do something right with Lamar Jackson, you know. I mean, he had to play some sort of role in Lamar Jackson, you know, playing as well as he did. And he had the right scheme and the right offense for Lamar Jackson. Obviously, Joe Flacco and Lamar Jackson are two very different quarterbacks. And so you really have to change your offensive scheme. So I respect the fact that, you know, um, John Harbaugh took the risk. You know, he, he said, I'm going to do something totally different on the offensive side of the ball. And, um, you know, I guess that leads us into our next winner, is Greg Roman. Yeah, Greg Roman, the assistant uh, coach of the year, a uh, guy who has, to be honest with you, this isn't the first time, Ed. I mean, I'm kind of surprised that Roman hasn't been considered seriously for head coaching jobs. He's always being talked about, but it's just, it's amazing to me. Look at what he did with Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick had his best seasons when Greg Roman was his offensive coordinator there when Jim Harbaugh was coaching the San Francisco 49ers. Now he goes to the Ravens and look what he's doing for Lamar Jackson, designing the offense around him to work to his strengths and, and make him a pocket passer with another Harbaugh. So it's just Greg Roman is just one of those assistants that never gets any respect. Yeah. I mean, he he he's gonna get the respect. He did get the respect this year. I mean, he he showed that he showed that uh, he knew what to do with Lamar Jackson, and um, so you know you gotta love the scheme. You, you gotta credit the quarterbacks coach. You know, all the way from the quarterbacks coach, the offensive coordinator, the head coach. You got you gotta decorate them all pretty much. I mean, for what the year that Lamar Jackson had. He's an innovator. I'm telling you, Greg Roman is one of those Kyle Shanahan type of guys. He is an innovating, innovating mind on the offensive side of the ball. He he made it work with Kaepernick. He made it work with Lamar Jackson. I'm impressed. And this guy has to get a job as a head coach. He just he deserves it. If Stefanski got it, if Kyle Shanahan got it, Greg Roman, I'm calling for it. Ed. Somebody's got to give this man that job next offseason. He's got to be number one on people's lists out there. There's just there's certain people that are just always assistants, but they never get that chance. Roman deserves it because if this guy can coach. This guy knows offense, at least. He can always hire a defensive coach out there. I'm just, yeah, I would love to have Greg Roman and give him a shot as a head coach. I think another guy who deserves a head coaching job, too, along with Greg Roman is Eric Bieniemy. I, w- I was kind of surprised he didn't get a head coaching job this year. Yeah, it's always kind of in the in the shadow of Andy Reid, and yeah, he's, he's never getting that respect out there. But look what he's done for Mahomes, and for Alex Smith, and all those guys. All right, let, let's move on. Uh, obviously, we found out the 2020 Hall of Fame class, Ed, and top of the list, Ed, it's Troy Polamalu. I mean, what a player! I, you know, I'm not a Steelers fan. I never have been. Obviously, it's not a secret. But I know you are. This man is was the epitome of that Steelers defense. Uh, a clear-cut leader, two-time Super Bowl champion, eight-time Pro Bowler. He was voted to All-Decade Team in the 2000s. And it's just, the man was a legend, Ed. I mean, he just impacted that defense in a number of ways. 
He would get that sack. He would force a fumble. He would get that key interception or a key stop. I loved watching Palomalu play. Yeah, it was interesting. There, there was kind of this rumor with uh, Palomalu that they would give the other ten players on the field a play, and then they kind of just tell Palomalu just let your instincts guide you. <laughs> and so, I mean, sometimes he was playing at the line and he'd be another linebacker. Other times he'd be playing deep safety. But it just seemed like he was always around the ball. And, I mean, those those defenses, those sort of 90s and early 2000s defenses, um, you know, Palomalu was was a great one. I, actually, more of the 2000s was with Zara. Um, you know, he, he, you know he, he could do it all. I mean, he was fast. He was... Um, you know, he it was especially instinctual, but you know, he could blitz, he was physical, um, he'd make the acrobatic catch. Um, you know, he was just a phenomenal athlete and he had an interesting way of training. Um, he was a good guy and I think that plays a role in this Hall of Fame, you know, voting. I mean, he was the kind of guy who would buy a fan a, a dinner at an expensive restaurant or um, you know, just just be an all around good guy. I know he came from a Eastern Orthodox religious tradition, and he was very committed to his faith. I mean, he was there's really there's really there's really no question that he was going to get into the Hall of Fame. And um, I, I guess I guess some of the Steeler writers, I guess what their regret is, is they said we spent too much time trying to get Fanica, and you know we should have made sure that Troy was a unanimous Hall of Famer. But um, you know Troy still did get in, and um, he he was he was. Uh, I think I think it was like Peter King was one of the writers that didn't put him in, but um, you know, definitely definitely a Hall of Famer. And I would say I would say if I could mark him as anything, greatest strong safety of all time. Maybe not the greatest safety of all time. I mean, I give that to Ed Reed. There were some other guys who played the position, but greatest when you talk about you know sort of that fifth linebacker or fourth linebacker, and you know guy who could play deep, um, you know best best in the box safety of all time. Well put. Uh, another safety uh, that was made the list in the Hall of Fame 2020, Steve Atwater. I had the chance to, to watch him play. Uh, plays for He played for the Denver Broncos for about a decade. Two-time Super Bowl champion with Mike Shanahan. Eight-time Pro Bowler, Steve Atwater. Over 1,000 tackles, 24 interceptions. Uh, back in the day, he was the heart and soul of that secondary with the Denver Broncos. Had, yeah, I mean, I, I thought he was just kind of like an old-school safety, you know, a guy who was a great tackler. Um, you know, it took him a little while to get into the Hall of Fame, so it's nice to see that. Um, you know, it's nice for Denver Bronco fans. I mean, they, you know, they've had a few Hall of Famers, but certainly not as much as teams like the Steelers and the Cowboys. So, um, you know, it's good to see a guy like Atwater get in. Right, let's talk about Edgerrin James. Uh, my favorite Edgerrin James moment was uh, when he was drafted. When he was drafted, everybody, the Colts fans, and then Bill Polian, everybody expected Bill Polian to take Ricky Williams in that draft. But he's like, I don't want Ricky Williams. I've got this kid, Edron James from Miami. He's a much better receiver, and he fits our system. We'll plug him in there. We've got Marvin Harrison. We've got Peyton Manning. Then they had Reggie Wayne, and they, they won a Super Bowl. I mean, Edron James is a very underrated player, was never the, the number one star on that team. Obviously, Peyton Manning was, was the guy and Marvin Harrison. But Edron James, the, the quiet leader who surpassed 10,000 
rushing yards. I didn't think he was going to get in, and I thought it was going to take him a while. And uh, obviously, he's he's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and I, I, th- I think one of the marks of his career was longevity, too. I mean, I, I think he played a long time, and I think he was good for a long time. And sometimes that's the way you get into the Hall of Fame. I mean, some some guys get in because they had, you know, three or four just awesome years. But, you know, Edge Edge was, you know, just a very consistent back for a lot of years. And, um, you know, it, I mean, you look at you look at nowadays and the lifespan of the, some of these running backs, and you, you kind of have to give a guy like Edwin James some respect. Another guy, longevity, uh, kind of marked his career. The wide receiver from St. Louis, Los Angeles Rams now. It's Isaac Bruce. Uh, he was part of the triplets, Kurt Warner and Torrey Holt and Marshall Falk, those guys. Isaac Bruce went through the losing seasons with the Rams, and, and all of a sudden he came out as the Super Bowl winner. He was he was the champion against those that Patriots team and uh, out there, oh, against the Titans. Uh, yeah, the Patriots beat the the Rams, and then uh, they beat the Titans. Four-time Pro Bowler, over a thousand receptions, over fifteen thousand receiving yards, and ninety-one receiving touchdowns. It took him a little while to get there, but I'm happy for Isaac Bruce. Yeah, and I, I think I think really just that whole that whole core trio should get in. I mean, Kurt Warner, you know, obviously already in, and Isaac Bruce, you know, you got to put that whole greatest show on turf. I mean, that's that's got to be cemented in the history of football. You know, just that that offense that just I mean, it, it was like literally they play these games, and you would you would just want to see one team make a defensive stop, and that would be. That would be that would be enough to win or two stops. I mean, it was it was almost like watching a basketball game. The way the way that these two that offense just operated and just scored touchdowns and scored touchdowns. It was almost like they made like scoring look easy, and then it was like it was almost like they made it like playing defense was this impossible task. And so I I, I think I think I think you know even Tory Holt. I mean he he wasn't the primary receiver, but. I think he, he should get a look for this. I, I could see him being a finalist. And you got to put Marshall Falk in the Hall of Fame if he's not already there. No, that's that, that's definitely. They're they're all in there. Marshall Falk, Kurt Warner, and Tory Tory Holt deserves to go in as well. Isaac Bruce, the, the ultimate professional, Mr. Consistency, as I call him. And one guy, one last player, I don't want to leave him out, Stephen Hutchinson, who was drafted by the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, we all remember him from the Minnesota Vikings days because Adrian Peterson was the running back there and Steve Hutchinson was, was paving the way. 169 starts, Ed. Five-time, five he, he made the first team, all-pro team, seven-time pro bowler. He was part of that old decade team in the 2000s. Before there was Quentin Nelson, Ed, for all those younger, the younger generation, there was Stephen Hutchinson. Yeah, and he, he he was probably one of the most dominant guards of his of his era for sure. Um, you know, and, and when you talk about Adrian Peterson's career, and Adrian Peterson had a lot of great years, but I mean Steve Hutchinson definitely deserves deserves a lot of credit for Adrian Peterson's success. Well, all the offensive linemen deserve the the success that running backs have behind them. So Steve Hutchinson, yeah, the the best offensive guard of my generation. And Quentin Nelson has got still ways to go, um, obviously. But, uh, yeah, that was, I, I loved watching him play. Just a physical run blocker. The man got it done on the football field. One last topic, Ed. Um, just 
some news that we received yesterday. Mark D'Antonio steps down at Michigan State amid the, the scandal that's going on there. He, he's getting sued. Obviously, he stepped down, but it seemed like Michigan State was going to let him go. Uh, he, his teams have been struggling recently. If, you know, if he was winning, he probably would have put up with it, but uh, Mark D'Antonio is uh, stepping away from his job. And What do you think about that, and who are some of the candidates that that Michigan State might be interested in? Well, I, I think, first of all, I mean, it sounds like it sounds like what Mark D'Antonio did was he he let too many bygones be bygones, and that's that he, you know, there were a lot of sexual assault allegations and stuff like that that he just he just he, he tried to be a player's coach and he tried to be a player a friend to these players and he never really doled out the punishments that should have been doled out for these sexual assault and um, you know it should have been done at a time when you know the Larry Nasser case came out and that made national news and. Um, you know that he he really should have cracked down on it, um, and he didn't. And you know the fact is is that he tried to he tried to he tried to let bygones be bygones, and he tried to shove it under the rug. And now he's paying the price. And I mean, he he had some success on the field, but you know part of being a college football head coach is maintaining the character and integrity of a football program. And um, in that in that realm, he didn't do that. And um, you know I. I it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to be sympathetic to D'Antonio when, um, you know, there's a lot of sexual assault victims in this whole story. No, absolutely. A couple of head coaching candidates that I believe will be in the running. I would say Pat Narduzzi, because Narduzzi was the defensive coordinator at Michigan State for a lot of the time uh, during D'Antonio's heyday, and when he moved on to Pitt, um, defense kind of took a step back a little bit. So I think Pat Narduzzi is, is going to be the number one candidate here. He knows that Michigan State culture. He he was the defensive coordinator there. He's had success a bit. I think he's going to be the first guy that they contact. And then I would say Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle is the epitome of what I want my head coach to be for Michigan State. And he's just a tough guy who knows Big Ten football. Uh, he was the Ohio State defensive coordinator there for for almost a decade, and then he became a Cincinnati Bearcats uh, head coach the last couple of years and has had a lot of success. And so I think Luke Fickle would bring that blue-collar mentality to the Michigan State program. So in my opinion, Luke Fickle and Pat Narduzzi should be uh, the top two candidates for the job. Yeah, but, I mean, right now now you you really can't think about – you know, I mean, it's not—it's not really a—it's not really a, a time for Michigan State to really, you know, pounce on these recruits. I mean, it's, we're kind of in, in kind of in that transition time. It's kind of like you know, every team's kind of hired their head coach. So, I mean, they're not really going to get the the prime their prime uh, target. So, I mean, I would even think if if I'm if I'm Michigan State, you know, I wait a year. You know, I just go with an interim head coach this year and then just try to get your guy next year. So we're welcome our guest to the show, Jazzy Stalker, uh, safety from the University of Pittsburgh Panthers. Glad to have you on, Jazzy. Yeah, nice, nice to be here. Nice to talk to you guys. Um, so last night was the Super Bowl, uh, 49ers, Chiefs. Chiefs came up on top. What did you think of the Super Bowl last night? I mean, I enjoyed watching the Super Bowl. I always enjoy watching it, especially like with the commercials and all the, the music that goes around with the Super Bowl. It was like a football holiday for real, so... 
I mean, definitely enjoyed watching it. I was rooting for the Chiefs the whole time. I'm a big, you know, Eagles fan, so watching Andy Reid get that dub was was real exciting. Like, I wanted him to get a Super Bowl since he was on the Eagles. So just watching that, watching him get the win was was a good experience. Jazzy, I mean, that's uh, defense wins championships. What happened to the Niners last night? How, how would you break it down? What, what happened? I mean, I feel like there's the leader of the defense, too, Richard Sherman. I feel like he could have had a way better game um, getting beat by Sammy Watkins, who I wasn't really sure that was going to show up that game. But he, he had a real good game, and I feel like Richard Sherman could have locked him down. But, shoot, he's not really a man-up type, island-type corner like like other corners in the league. Like I feel like he just is a good zone corner that, that can just play in space real well, but. You know, I feel like he could have had a better game, and shoot, he showed up. He just got the dub. Yeah, the Niners blew it. Uh, more like the Niners blowing it, Jazzy. Um, I, I want to find out about. <laughs> I want to find out about your training. Uh, where are you currently training for the NFL draft? Where are you at? Uh, I'm going to be able. I'll get the opportunity to train with Travell Gaines, and I also was going to be training at Mamba at in Calabasas. Why did you decide to go all the way to California? I mean, you're you're from Pitt. You you went to Pittsburgh. Uh, it's not a secret. Well, Why did you decide to go all the way to to sunny California? I got family out here actually, so you know I'll I'll be with my brother who lives out who's been living out here for about two years. So I'm pretty familiar with the area because you know I talk to him all the time. So coming up here, I was just going to be my brother because he actually has went to Pitt as well with me and my during my undergrad. So just being up here with him just drove me to come here. Tell us about your training regimen. Um, our listeners want to find out what you go through on on a daily basis, and just tell us about your your rigorous schedule right now. So yeah, as soon as I got got here, I had to start up a routine. Like every morning, I wake up. Give me a protein shake, go on a little job, and get to the facility. That's when we go through all of our training aspects. We, uh, you know, work out, do do a little lifting as far as weights, and then we do speed training. It depends on what day it is of the week. So I've only been out here for a week. This is my first week doing it, so I'm getting adjusted to as well. You were, so yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. You were a highly coveted DB coming out of high school in Pennsylvania. Um, How did you wind up at Pitt? Why did you decide to go there? Uh, I decided to go to Pitt just because it was just a blue-collar city where I could just, you know, put my head down and just grind and just adapt that particular mentality of just working and just going to work every day, you know, because, like, other schools that I visited, they were, like, party schools. They were, like, like people would just go out all the time and just be a part of the crowd, and I don't want to. I don't want to go to a school like that. I wanted to go to a school where I could, you know, put my work in, get it, get in, and get out. Really, so Pitt give, is that give, perfect give school us, where I could. Give, give us the names of a couple of those schools. Are they down south or are they up north? All right, let's not put a a, a name to it. Are they in the ACC? Or are they in the Big Ten? Or are they in the in the SEC? Where are they at? Where are those party schools? Um, see, I got recruited by Wisconsin, Syracuse, you know, Miami. Like, those schools were, like, schools that were really recruiting me heavily and Pitt as well. So I, I had to choose out of, like, ten schools, I would say, you know, coming out of high school. 
and Pitt was like the most most one that was like it was also close to home, you know. So Miami, Syracuse, and Wisconsin, I would say, were most most part of schools. And obviously, I'm sure your brother played a role in it, and you mentioned that he played at Pitt as well. Uh, no, my brother he actually transferred to Pitt when I decided to come to Pitt. So, where was he from? Where where did he uh, transfer from? He came from North Carolina State. Okay, all right. All so yeah, they, so they, they had a school. right. They had a coaching change, so he came along to Pitt with me. Uh, what are your biggest attributes that you bring to the football field? What, what type of football player? Uh, what are your strengths? Uh, some of my strengths include being a big-time tackler. I can tackle in space very well. Also, my ability to recognize tendencies, I feel like, before the play. And I also play with my instincts at the same time. Like, a lot of people, you know, get tied up in their instincts and don't worry about the actual technique part, like the knowledge part of the game. But I feel like that's what I have in my game is the versatility to be able to play off instinct and to play off my knowledge. Can you talk about the advantage your 6'2 height brings as a safety? Uh, definitely my length. Like, as far as my height and my um, my reach, I, I, I use my arms really well because I can, you know, jam a wide receiver from a farther distance than other people because of, of my reach. And I feel like that plays a big part in football because, you know, Say, say like, you're going for a tackle and you can't really get to him. But I feel like if I reach for my, with my arms, I can easily get him down. It's easier to tackle. Jazzy. And deflect passes as well. Jazzy, obviously you've been training for a week. Um, what do you think you need to improve upon between now and uh, your pro day? Uh, definitely get bigger. You know, I was playing, playing at – Pit at 195, so that that'll get you by. But shoot, my last game I had to tackle AJ Dillon. Shoot, he you let guys know about him. He's like 250 pounds, so I gotta put on put on at least 10 pounds to be able to you know tackle guys like that in the next level. What was it like to tackle somebody like AJ Dillon? I mean, we we see a guy in the NFL, Derrick Henry, and they're kind of similar dudes. I mean, AJ Dillon is yeah. also a fast guy. What is it like when when a Ford truck is coming at you at full speed. Listen, it was by far the hardest dude I ever had to tackle in my whole football career. <laughs> it was like, this is the point, this is trying to get him down. Like, he's always going to have, like, a, three more extra steps after contact. It's just it's just really hard to get him down because of his size and his, his uh, stature. Like, he's different from Derrick Henry because he's, like, a little shorter. Because Derrick Henry, I know he's got that height. But that compact compactness of him having that much weight is like a, a bowling ball just coming through the hole. So definitely one of the hardest guys, the hardest guys I ever had to tackle in my football career. So take me through your mind sort of, you know, pre-snap. What do you look for in the offense? Uh, Definitely – Definitely going off of the formations. I'm looking for the tendencies, like if a guy's lined up on the hash or a guy's lined up two yards outside the hash, or if a guy's have a right foot or a left foot up, something like that. Or It's all about where they're lined up. Like formation will tell you everything and seeing where the eyes, where they're looking at. Like 
all that can tell you anything. And it's all about watching film, being prepared before you even get there. So we are we see all those tendencies in in the film room, and when we get on the field, when we see those, it's easier to tell like which play is going to come. So you talked about the importance of film, but what's the key to being a great safety? Uh, I feel like communication is is a real good key. Like you got to have everybody on the in that secondary on the same page, and if your communication is good and we're all playing as one, it's, it's going to be hard to hard to stop. So definitely communication is one of the keys to being a good safety. So what can you tell me about your secondary teammates, Dane Jackson and Paris Ford? Uh, starting out with Dane, it's like when when I'm lined up with Dane and I see him over there, it's like I don't even have to even think, like, to worry about him because it's like he got his own island over there, and it's like if D-Jack's over there, he's shutting it down. So you don't even got to worry about D-Jack over there on that on that aspect of, of playing because, like, he's going to shut that corner down. And, you, and it's like you got ultimate – trust in, in, in that type of corner because he's really going to shut it down down there. And playing with him, like, for – because we came in at the same time, so I got that I got that opportunity to play with Dane Jackson for my whole five years. So just being able to play next to Dane is like a certain security that you have over there. You don't got to worry about, you know, helping over the top or, you know, helping out over the under, like if a wide receiver runs the under route or anything. So, Dane Jackson, yeah, real good cover corner. How about Paris Ford? And Par- Paris Ford, yeah, he's one of the uh, best things I've ever seen play because he plays off his instincts very well. And, like, he, the way he reads the quarterback, he, he just messes their mind up because <laughs> it's like wherever the ball is, to Paris is. So, Paris – He's definitely a good track down, track down safety. He'll track you down from sideline to sideline, and he'll hit you. He'll really hit you. Like he's real, real physical, real physical, real physical safety. One of the most physical safeties I ever played with. So sticking with the pit theme, can you tell me about Coach Pat Narduzzi? What it's like to play for him? Um, what it's like to play for Coach Dudes? I mean. Coach Jules, he's taught us. He's taught us a lot of things, and he's, and he's really led us to uh, to where we where we became. You know, like where we did accomplish. Like we got to an ACC championship the the previous year, which I really got to play on big stages like that. Like playing on the ACC championship was like one of the biggest stages we played in college football because it's the championship. Like. And him bringing us to the championship, I feel like he he's a good coach. Can you tell me more about the ACC championship game in 2018? Getting yeah. there, but also talking about playing against Clemson. Well, yeah, much yeah, we uh, we got the opportunity to play in the ACC championship because that was what we were focusing on from the from the beginning. Like we would break it down, ACC championship every workout, every practice. Every 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 time we got to break it down, we were breaking it down on AC championship, and it led up. It started out started off from winning the coastal. Actually, it was like a roller coaster during the season. Like we had ups and downs, but actually winning the coastal was what got us to the ACC championship. We ne- we never had got that done at Pitt, so that was the first one. You know, we had Dan Marino at the game and everything. So it was actually the coast winning coastal championship with Wake Forest that 
you know, helped us get to the ACC championship. So being a part of that was was a good experience, no doubt. What was it like to play against Clemson, Jazzy? I mean, was Clemson the toughest opponent that you played against in the ACC? Oh, yeah, definitely the toughest opponent because it's like they have good players in every position, you know. So we actually got the opportunity to beat, beat Clemson in my redshirt, redshirt sophomore year, I think it was. So beating them, they they kind of had a, like a chip on their shoulder against us because every time we played them after that, they just came out came out swinging, you know. But hey, we always play. It's like we always play our best ball versus Clemson because you know they they're one of the best teams in the ACC. And it's like when we play, it's not like we change our game for any team, but it's like when we're playing Clemson, it's like yeah, this is Clemson, so let's go, you know. But yeah, it was it, it's it's nice always playing Clemson. Good good competition, real good I mean, competition. They've got great players at each position, but Trevor Lawrence is different. He was a freshman that year, and obviously they they played against you in the championship game, and then they went on and, and won the national championship. Tell me about Trevor Lawrence, man. He's just he's a different beast, right? Yeah, it's like with Trevor Lawrence, he just his composure is different. Like he'll surprise you with his speed. And he'll get that. He'll put that ball in a place where only the wide receiver can put it. So, I mean, after the championship, we actually, I actually heard that Clemson were saying like our DB, our DB core was like one of the hardest they ever went win against. And you know, they still were you know putting up putting up plenty points to win the game. But I feel like Trevor Lawrence's composure is everything. Like he just keeps he just keeps everything controlled back there and controls the game with his with his composure. So, who's the best slot receiver you've covered in the ACC? The best slot receiver? Um, who's the receiver from North Carolina, I think? I forgot his name. Uh, he, uh, he, yeah, was, I got, he was on the Raiders. He was on the Steelers. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Are you yeah, talking yeah. about Ryan Switzer? Correct. Yeah, Ryan Switzer. Yeah, Switzer. Switzer definitely, definitely was a one of the quickest dudes I ever had to cover in college. Like he he'd get off the ball real fast, he's explosive in sources in like he was he wasn't really a breakout speed type of guy, but he, he can get in space and definitely get a whole bunch of yards. He was he was one of the best. So who's the toughest tight end you've covered? Toughest tight end I ever covered. Yeah. Um covered a good amount of tight ends. Definitely, the Boston College tight end was real good. He was he was real good. I had to cover him uh, plenty of times. He was he was he was he was probably one of the best. Yeah. Was that the guy? I forgot his name. Tommy Sweeney. Tommy yeah. Sweeney. Yeah, Tommy Sweeney. Yeah, yep, Tommy Sweeney. Yep. So he was definitely a good tight end to cover. We're talking to you, and I just want to hear it from you. Like, which NFL player would you compare your game to? Definitely, definitely Cam Chancellor. Cause you know I I would I would bring that bring that wood. I'm not as big as he is, but I definitely like compare my game to him because of the way I play. Like if I was if I was his his weight and his stature, we'd be the same same player. That's that's quite a uh, quite a comparison there. I mean Cam Chancellor, everything that he's accomplished at Virginia Tech and and with the Seahawks, man, that's you set your bar pretty high. That that's good. I mean, yeah, that's why I feel like you have to set your bar that high because he's one of the greats, you know. So, be I've looked up to him growing up, and I tried to mirror my game 
for him as long as I could. And seeing him, like, you know, retire broke my heart because I wanted to keep seeing him play, you know, actually being in the league. Just just seeing him, you know, grow as a player and being great, you know, future Hall of Famer, I believe. So just seeing him, I tried to mirror my game as, as in my whole career. So last question. Um I want you to make a pitch. What, what, why should an NFL team draft you? Um, I feel like an NFL team should draft me because I'm a good team player. I can, I can adjust to any situation because of my toughness. And I feel like if a team wants me on their team, then they're going to get someone who's willing to work and put in that work for, for that particular team. Jazzy, congratulations uh, on Andy Reid winning the Super Bowl, the nicest guy. Oh around. yeah, no doubt. Even, like I said, I'm bummed. Obviously, my 49ers lost, but look, I, I got to give it up. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is a great quarterback, and and Andy Reid. It couldn't have happened to a nicer dude. Obviously, it didn't happen with the Eagles and and McNabb and that company, but it happened with the Chiefs. So, congratulations on that. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. It was really nice seeing Andy Reid get that W. So, Jazzy, it was awesome having you on the show. Um, you know, we're, we're looking forward to seeing your growth and where you go and, um, you know, hoping hoping for the best. So uh, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for listening. Take care, all.